Welcome to Saltivation. The Saltivation Show is a podcast series featuring the leading voices in salt, where we talk about the issues and strategies to help you make sense of state and local tax. And one of your kind of more recent recordings, you had mentioned kind of the uptick in those like green fees, like the bag fees, to fund electronic goods and, you know, tires and whatnot, um, those things that could adversely affect the environment. Is that, do you expect kind of that expansion of those going forward? Do you think that's going to be something just crystal ball as, you know, a tax person who's been working, you know, in... (laughs) in tax for this long, that that's going to be just kind of a new thing that you're, we're just going to keep seeing and seeing and seeing. I I, I do. I, I think it's, <laughs> um, if <laughs> I definitely do. I mean, if you think back, just say two or three years ago, we at Vertex were supporting around 400 fee impositions and mostly in the green uh, space area that you mentioned. Uh, today we support about 1200. So in a three year time period, it's gone up by a factor wow. of three. Um, and I don't think it's just in the environmental space also. We um, we tend to think that it's going to also, and we see this because we have a lot of customers uh, in the hospitality space. So they actually have to impose fees on what we call, we call them neighborhood fees. So if you're at the airport and you buy a cup of coffee, there might be a port fee uh, for that airport just because that's where you bought it. We're starting to see some places where uh, trendy neighborhoods are actually starting to impose fees if you go out to dinner or something like that. And and the thing about fees is that fees can be passed with, rel- with relative ease. They're easy to audit because uh, it's on a normally a per, tra- per transaction basis. And so I think if you think about how local communities or local districts want to actually continue to raise revenue without raising the sales tax rate, fees are going to be a significant portion of that. And I will tell you this, that a lot of our customers are very aware of this and they want to make sure that at least we stay, you know, apprised of making sure that in our monthly data update, we get those fee positions, uh, you know, updated with, with that as well so that they're charging proper fees as well. So yes, And that's I, not really it, a sales tax. Right. That's just a fee. No, it's not. But you've got to, if you're right. going to send an invoice and put something on it, how else are you going to put it on there? Right. Your exactly. Can help with that. So mm-hmm. it's almost expanding your base of what you actually have to be collecting on an invoice. But that's a service to your end user and, and to the, you know, pass through of it. But, you know, the interesting thing, Colorado, we have Tabor. So we cannot increase our taxes without a vote of the people. You can appreciate that does mm-hmm. not go over very well. In fact, we just lost this property taxing was actually to the benefit of everybody because of a lack of awareness around what the law really meant to them. And they thought, oh, it's going to take away my $800 Tabor refund. I'm like, this is bigger than that. You should pass this, as mm-hmm. the law or governor put it. But People don't understand that. So they're not going to vote for tax increases. So what do we do? We impose delivery fees, bag fees, because fees are not a tax in Colorado. And uh, so far, so good. They've won on that. (laughs) They've won. And then that fee was a transportation bill. It was not a Department of Revenue bill. Department of Revenue was enforced with uh, tasked with enforcing it and managing it and taking the input. But it was not a Department of Revenue bill. And I just had a meeting with Heidi Heidkamp. She uh, is our executive director. She actually came out of retirement as a deputy back to be the executive director. And I we asked her straight up because over my career, we've seen different advocacy at the Department of Revenue where they're pushing legislation rather than receiving it and having to comply with it. And their policy is 
they're going to go towards uh, enforcing what the legislators want to do, right? Not yeah. They're not going to assert policy. So it is a push-pull. Like you said, how do you assert policy that could de- be a right. detriment to another taxpayer? Mm-hmm. But they're just taking um, the Canadian, what is it? They're taking no sides. So just, okay, what, you know, and then explaining yeah. to the legislators, this is going to be hard for us to implement. So just be mindful. We're going to need some more full-time equivalents to make it happen. Yep, exactly. What I'm sure there's a lot of digging into the nuts and bolts of like what that fee actually is to understand whether it's going to be part of the purchase price and is it taxable and just really trying to assign like, and here's the new code for the, you know, kind of that mapping code within the system for, you know, the living wage fee when you go to a restaurant. Is it a tip? Is it... Uh, you know, is it required because it's not optional and just the taxability and the nuances of each one of those fees, I'm sure, is just a huge just undertaking to try to get behind what those actually mean. And typically the people in the company don't have a clue how to apply tax law to that. So they're just winging it and hoping and relying. If they have a vendor like you, they're going to provide them some information because they don't know it themselves or how to find the answer to it. That's why we have a career. No, it, not everybody can talk to us, so it's tough. Yeah, no, there's almost no guidance behind it. And the other thing to it is it's so very local that they, they they pass these things and it's just imposed. And there's and as you as you both said, it's you're kind of left to kind of figure it out on your own. And maybe maybe it's analogous to some other place or some other place of of adding some of these fees. So a lot of again, not much guidance have to collect it have to remit it uh and it's 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 quite a burden actually on on our customers to actually do that as well so well i remember when the when the when the delivery fee got imposed and of course within a year it was raised a point a penny i'm like come on so anyway Mm -hmm. um we it was mandatory it had to be imposed so there are many home rule cities in colorado that were going to tax it because mandatory, mandatory related to delivery. Delivery is taxable in those cities, not at the state level, depending on mandatory, if it's, you know, uh, you know you can choose, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I'm like, these cities don't do this to us. That's a circuitous transaction. But imagine you've got to figure out how to do that. We did get them to back off on that by rounding up our Colorado Municipal League, which is similar to the Multi-State Tax Commission, but it just represents the cities of Colorado. But really explaining because there's such a disparity amongst the cities. We have 71 and we just have 72 now because Keystone just rolled to be Keystone. I don't know how many people live there. Can't possibly be more than 3000 humans live full time in Keystone ski resort area. I'm sorry. It's just not a huge community. It's a lovely mountain ski town. They don't realize the repercussions on the people giving them money and the kind of the impossibility of managing it. So um, we are very grateful that, you know, through some information, Denver especially decided to back off because they kind of set the standard around here. They're our biggest metro city. Um, and they're, you know, their rate's 4.8% because they're a city and a county. That's double your state rate if you're going to tax some ancillary fee. So that was a really anxious creating time for me to tell our legislators and our Department of Revenue and our other cities you, you can't do this to taxpayers. You're just going to be asking for trouble for them and you're going to be putting them in trouble on an audit. We don't want that. Out of curiosity, is there one fee that you've heard of that you're just like, what? Like <laughs> the, the green headphone fee in Fargo, North Dakota, because you yeah. bought a pair of green headphones. Is there anything that's just kind of just completely being silly? And like, is there any kind of fee that you've heard of that was just like, 
what? Like that head scratcher <laughs> WTF moment? No, I, I, I think I just expect it's going to be kind of a bit odd sometimes. But I, I will say this. I will say where we where you see some struggles is in Canada because it's your fees are based upon volumes. And so you have this graduated thing about where you have to impose the fee and how much the fee is. So if you really want to kind of see the how granular fees can go on a say a bottle of soda, like given like what volume is in it, that's the thing that really makes you know things tough. And they they impose those fees kind of because they say the bigger the bottle, well, you know, the more that it needs to be recycled or should be recycled. And and so that's that's where you or see. Or it takes a lot up of, more room in a landfill or something interesting. Exactly. So like a no, twelve it. ounce no. can versus a sixteen point nine ounce plastic bottle versus a two liter were exactly exactly. Um. I had a situation with a client where it was like they sold their own convenience store and they would sell to go right grab a bag of chips or versus it's food for home consumption by a container or a big bag of chips versus a little bag of chips or a package with all the little chips for your kids' lunches. So the package and the big container, all not taxable food for home consumption. But the one-off chip bag, which you could probably take to go, is actually takeout food subject to tax. So it's like, who can do that? Who could do that yeah. as a taxpayer? They also sold energy drinks. Okay, so I learned about energy drinks. I'm like, do you know how many energy drinks there are? When I went to law school... I drank Mountain Dew. I didn't ever drink coffee actually until my forties, but I drank Mountain Dew, which is so bad for you. But regardless, I love that Mountain Dew. I drank my Mountain Dew. So I didn't know anything about all these crazy energy drinks. I mean, we're looking at the, their list of all the cup, all the types of energy drinks they're selling, like over a thousand. And the distinction on the labeling is it could be a supplement, a nutritional or a supplement label. If it was a nutritional right. label, exempt. If it's a supplement label, taxable. Or if it has milk or coffee in it, food. Anyway, you can't figure that out. You could have the same can sitting on the shelf with two different labeling systems. You don't control the labeling as a convenience <laughs> or anybody who buys an energy drink. So this poor convenience store is getting audited for this. And I'm thinking, this is crazy for you to expect them to manage this. And we got them out of the audit assessment. But it was very distressing. And I had I went to the grocery store and pulled the same can with two labels on this, the shelf right next to each other. Same product, different labelings. Like if you cannot make a distinction based on that, that's crazy. Well, Judy, do you remember <laughs> when we were mapping kind of like a newer supplement, vitamin, whatever we Masks. called my parents, my parents are Charlotte's, food scientists. No, it was CBD. What is CBD? So we called my parents who are food scientists to like really get into the nuts and bolts of like what the definition under the FDA, because my mom was in regulatory with the FDA, private company, but dealt with the FDA a lot. So we called her to talk to her about that, those distinctions. And so those are all of those things that kind of bringing us back on topic that you all as a software vendor and as, you know, chief tax officer have to, you know, be aware of. Have, you, you can know, have the option right? of people, right, to implement that and just, you know, where technology is changing, right? You know, when we first started working with a vendor, there was no code for infrastructure as a service because that wasn't really a thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, everyone has AWS, you know, is storing stuff in the cloud that we've got to come up with a mechanism for people to kind of assign that code correctly. 
and then have, before you can implement a code, you've got to know the rules behind it. And yeah, sometimes really those newer, yeah. and those newer technologies, yeah. there are there isn't a lot of rules. And you're because, building you know, the tech stack together, not even separately sometimes. So it's like, what is it that you bought? <laughs> yeah. And I guess, you know, we've talked about a few things, you know, the the evolution of fees and just kind of new taxes. Is there anything that Vertex or, you know, you not as an employee of Vertex are really kind of interested in or keeping your eye on from kind of new tax policy that you might have to be kind of aware of, you know, on the income tax side, we're really heavily watching, you know, what states are doing with public law 86272 and what the MTC has come out regarding that, you know, from a sales tax side, you know, is there, what are you all really kind of looking at crystal ball that, you know, we're not going to hold you to? I think I'll, I'll go back to something that's happened over the past couple of years where a lot of states have provided a lot of relief in the personal income tax space. They've cut rates or they've done something like that. And, and so they've put, they've, they've allowed that to kind of happen as a policy decision. And and I understand that because a lot of people did have a tough time during COVID and, um, and so they, they wanted to provide some relief there. The, The second thing that is putting pressure on budgets. So that puts a pressure on budgets. The second thing that puts pressure on budgets is actually the devaluation of commercial real estate in the urban cores. So you're seeing this massive kind of revaluation because people are either hybrid work or uh, or they're not having to go in five days a week. And so now these commercial buildings are being revalued. And so property tax revenues are actually starting to be greatly impacted. And I would say this, I would say as a funding mechanism between corporate and personal income taxes, property taxes and sales and use taxes, that sales and use taxes is going to become a much greater place for funding, uh, more prominent in the future. And I would say that because one thing that is true about sales and use tax, it's normally, even though we've talked about a lot of complexity around it, it's normally a little bit easier to get that and impose that tax. It collects much sooner than it does, say, for income tax purposes, because you're getting a, you're getting those remittances every month. And then the, the last thing, too, is it's really kind of based on on, on a transaction, which is the, the economy moves along in, in a transaction. Two-thirds of the economy is based upon all of this commercial activity by consumers. So given all of that and rolling that all together, I just think it's a preferred method of funding going forward. The other thing I would say this, too, is the data over the last, say, 60 or 70 years, if you look at all the economic downturns that have occurred, and there's been about five of them, the one tax between the income tax, property tax, and sales and use is sales and use goes down faster in hard economic times, but guess what? It comes back faster. So it's almost like a V curve going down and coming back. And it normally will restore itself within two quarters, maybe three at the most. Whereas if you look at the other taxes, income taxes and property taxes, it normally takes them anywhere from eight to nine quarters to actually go down and then come back. So so if I'm a legislator there and I'm thinking about like, what's my preferred method of funding? What's the one that's most resilient against economic downturns? It's sales and use tax. And so I'm probably going to continue to raise rates. The one thing I think that that still has to be decided by states 
is are they going to broadly tax services? There's only about eight or 10 states that actually broadly tax services. I think you all know this, is there, there's, there would be this decision that have to be made, are you gonna tax professional services like accounting, data management, professional um, architecture, those kinds of things versus personal services like lawn care, daycare, uh, and those kinds of things. Uh, healthcare won't be because uh, obviously that's off the table. But but the question is, which of those services are you going to tax? And the second thing is, there's a lot of resistance within Department of Revenues to actually go ahead and tax services because they have to put out a bunch of new rules. Uh, it, it can be regressive in terms of the, that tax itself, depending on what they tax. And so the question is, that's kind of like one of the last kind of big pieces of the economy that they simply just aren't taxing. We'll have to wait and see. Um, we thought for years that they would, but the DORs that we talked to, Department of Revenue directors, they're kind of, they kind of aren't wanting to do that at this point, but what, let's see what happens. So those are some thoughts. I feel thoughts like they around. do it through audit, like installation, training. I mean, they I just end so. up grabbing yeah. it through the tax of the products. So my experience is they brought in, even if you're not bundling services with the, with ta- with the product. Right. I mean, I feel like it's handled on the indirect way, audit by audit, pol- you know, I don't know if that's policy, but rather than actually putting it out there. So it's like secretly being enforced without actually legislatively being enacted. Um, yeah, so that's been a real trap for the unwary. And I, you know, I think it's interesting in the professional services world, CPA services are taxable, like Connecticut and South Dakota and a few other states, legal services are not taxable anywhere. And that's about advocacy. (laughs) And if you know, software is still not taxed in a few states, that's advocacy, right? California is still not taxing software. A state of 30 million humans that sells licenses all day long and 30 million humans are buying all kinds of things. And I find that to be a fascinating political uh, thing that we we see across the nation. Why did you tax it? Why didn't you? You know, and then it's materiality. I mean, I think about my moving from the big four to a regional firm and, you know, really getting to know the middle of America, very different tax policies and probably honestly fine to do because it's not a lot of humans that are affected by it. So easier to pass. And also I think everybody knows about income tax. Not everybody sees sales tax. And like you said, it's a small amount on every invoice. So they're like, oh, okay, whatever. (laughs) Well, and that's something that I even kind of, as a, you know, Colorado resident, I live in the city and county of Denver, that almost every sales tax increase gets voted through because it's just like, when you think about, you know, half a percent, the, the tax base generally is a lot smaller and they can they'll specifically assign it to we're gonna you know fund children's food in schools so we're gonna increase the sales tax rate by you know half a percent but when I go and buy a six pack of beer for fifteen dollars because I live in Colorado right um, <laughs> that that half a percent doesn't mean a whole lot but we did vote to decrease our sales our income tax our income tax rate and we have a flat rate for individuals and businesses that that went through the last two times it's been on, you know, on the bit on the ballots. Um, so it's like sales tax got voted through no problem and like a clear majority, but the income tax also reduction got voted through and a, you know, pretty high majority as well. So you, we, like I had been following that and making that connection, you know, in my own home state. So yeah, that's a very, you know, 
something I can see right away as well, you, you say that. So many business owners. I mean, look where Jeff Bezos just moved to Florida. <laughs> no personal income tax in Florida. <laughs> Why do you think he moved there? There's no personal income tax in Washington either, but now they were going after that wealthy person tax. So he's they not going to get yeah. taxed by Washington even more, even though that's the heart of his business and where, you know, he kind of got his start, but he's not going to give up all his income on, um, you know, on a tax. So it is, some people have the wherewithal and the ability to kind of pivot and move and make different decisions in order to change their residency. And there's only five states without a personal income tax. So how many are desirable to live in compared to others? I don't know. But you see a lot of people moving to save personal income tracks a lot in America in the wealthier ranks and the business owner ranks and so forth. So yep. it's interesting. Well, Mike, as we wrap up, is there anything that you, any parting words you have for us, any things that we, anything that we should think about, um, you know, and before that, we do really appreciate your, your expertise and, you know, what you're doing to help us all stay compliant. So any parting words for our listeners? Sure. First of all, it's been a wonderful day to be with both of you here today, and I've enjoyed it greatly in talking about a lot of these issues. I would say this, uh, there is one thing in terms of parting words. One thing I would say is that the technology that companies deploy in their tax department is really not just important from a governance issue, but it's really important from like an employee retention and recruiting issue as well. And so to the extent that you have a very, very robust and um, very automated tech stack that serves your needs well with very little kind of manual kind of interference or uh, influence. You want to do that because you want to continue to the, the, the competition for great people to work in your department is really, is really stiff and you need to really kind of have that. I've seen people leave certain really good companies where their tech stack wasn't modernized and go to other places that were maybe a little bit smaller but, but they were much more efficient in what they were doing. So when you think about, when you think about the, um, the conversation that you have in terms of funding for your technology stack, the f- don't, always, don't always get kind of caught with like what have been the audit assessments and that kind of thing. It really should be focused on governments, on governance, and it really should be more focused on the retention and the quality of people that you can continue to hire along with the fact that, Judy, something you said a long back in in this thing is ultimately a core piece of what the tax department has to do, and they're a core component of it, is produce a proper invoice in a frictionless environment. I've talked about that before. So you really need need some automated and some good tools to actually do that. So please please consider when you have those conversations about funding within your company that those are kind of front and center. So that's what I would leave you with. Yeah, and then... Well, and aren't, I just want to wrap with, aren't you the oldest sales tech software company out there? I mean, aren't you first in line that you start, do you know if that's true? We are. Yeah, we've been. I mean, I feel yeah, like I th- you I are. think so. Like, yeah, we've been the at oldest it one around. Yeah. yeah. So like, mm-hmm. you're kind of number one. <laughs> you were the number one to get out Thank there. Thank you very much. Yeah. It's, it's already shown all the things you've done with all the people you have to support you, the good tech stack you have, also yeah. the robust uh, rules and rates. I mean, that's just imperative, like you said, for good governance. Um, and you're dealing with, you know, thousands of taxpayers, lots of money. You're making sure it goes into our state government's coffers. It's a big deal to make yes. things run exactly. around here. So, 
Thank you. Truly. Thank you. (laughs) Well, thank you, Mike. And this has been another episode of Saltivation. Till next time. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended, nor should it be relied upon as legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Should consult with a competent professional to discuss specifics of your situation and the applicability of the information presented. 